Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. You might notice that this sounds a little different than normal, this preamble, and that's because, uh, well, actually I spent a very long day in airports across America being rerouted because of weather. I started in Los Angeles and now I'm here back in Nashville. And my microphone that I use to record this preamble is in my luggage. So, and I am here without my luggage. Um, I do have a spare mic, but unfortunately the plug on it is not working. So I am forced to speak at my Mac. So I know it sounds weird or strange or not as good as usual, but um, bear with me. This episode I'm really uh, excited about. Uh, I spoke with Larry Goad. He is here in Tennessee. Um, he had put a post on his Facebook wall that I read, and I thought, my gosh, I really have to talk to this guy. And he was very kind and said yes, and um, he tells his story of being a, uh, I would say, a survivor. I don't, I don't consider him a victim, um, a survivor of a home invasion and having been shot at and things. Um, and honestly, I really think Larry is quite possibly a Zen master, and you'll see why I say that um, when you listen to this episode. Um, yeah, so usual stuff, rate and review Hey Human on iTunes. I greatly appreciate that. It's really helpful. Um, if you shop Amazon, go through the Amazon portal on the homepage of HeyHumanPodcast.com, and that helps support Hey Human. And also the links page where I put books and movies and stuff we talk about. It's all on the links page from every episode. And those links, if it's for something like a book or a movie, if you click on that, you get taken to Amazon and it helps Hey Human Podcast. See where I'm going with this? Um, <laughs> your support is greatly encouraged through Amazon, where you're probably shopping anyway, if you're an Amazon shopper, which I am. Um, and I think you are too, maybe. And if you're not, you should be, because it helps support Hey Human. Hey, am I being redundant? I am. But that's just because it's been a very long day and I am jet lagged and crazy. But that's okay. I'm also hungry. I'm very excited. I have nut balls cooking in the toaster oven. And for those of you that don't know, nut balls is the actual name of it. And I think it's pecan nut or something like that. But my gosh, they're so good. And I haven't eaten all day. So I'm very excited for this situation to go ding and for me to devour them. Um, I'm off track a little, but that's okay. Uh, what else? Social media, heyhumanpodcast.com and Twitter, Susan Ruthism. And of course, I have a regular website, susanruth.com, and I already told you about heyhumanpodcast.com. So we're good on that. And please email me if you want, susan at heyhumanpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you. And that's always fun when I get uh, emails in the old inbox. All right. Well, that's all I've got for now. Um, the microphone should be arriving in the morning, but I really want to get this out and and on the schedule that I stick to. It's important to me to be consistent. So, all right. Thanks, y'all, for listening. I really appreciate it. And uh, wherever you are, I hope you're doing awesome. Yay. Let's do this. Here we go. Hi, Larry Good. Well, hi there, Susan Ruth. How are you? You have a good voice for this. Um, I've been told that. Yeah, you have a good low voice. Thanks for being on Hey Human. Oh, well, that's that's perfectly all right. You know, it's a, a pleasure for you to come here. So. Yeah, thank you. Um, I read something that you had posted on Facebook, and it piqued my interest. Uh, 
I, I I play around with the idea of forgiveness, you know, what it means, what forgiveness means, what it means to like, especially in insurmountable situations where you think there's no way you would ever forgive someone. All that stuff really fascinates me. And you posted this um, big thing on your Facebook wall. Tell my listeners, or our listeners, well, for that matter, what, what that was. Well, uh, about eight and a half years ago or so, I had a, a home invasion here in the studio. I, uh, I was actually in the house, and I, I'd gone to uh, Third Lindsley here, buddy of mine play, and so I came in late, <clears throat> and, and I locked the door. And uh, so anyway, I, had, I was up. I couldn't get to sleep, and all of a sudden, my dog just started growling like he, I'd never heard him growl before. I mean, this is pretty crazy. So I got up and went to the uh, the door and raised the window, and I saw the garage door was open. Mm-hmm. So I knew that had been, you know, something was up. So uh, my weaponry was out here in the studio, you know, and uh, I was like, well, that's not good. So I, I grabbed a knife, and uh, I uh, opened up the door, and the dog took off, and I took off, and there was a kid getting in the cars, and he drove off on a bicycle, and I chased him, you know, uh, Actually, if I'd been smart, I would have cut across the yard and I would have caught him. But if I'd done that, then what followed would have never happened. So anyway, I didn't catch him. I, I come back in here because I was going to get my weapon and call the cops and, and do all that. Well, I come in the door and uh, back in the control room, I see a little red light. It's a little headlamp, a little red light. And there was this kid standing there looking at this sheet of paper or actually several sheets of paper and just transfixed on it and uh, I took a couple of steps forward and I said hey and he turned around and he had my pistol in his hand now that pistol I had just cleaned actually it's my dad's pistol is really old revolver but I just cleaned it a few days before and decided to put the old ammunition back in it mm. So anyway, he raised up the gun, pointed it at me, and pulled the trigger. And uh, it was almost like the Matrix. Everything went into slow motion. You know, but the minute that I heard the click and, and no bullet fire, my adrenaline took over so much so that I, I tore the inside of my shoes out from pushing off to go after him. And so we had a... So you went toward him. The bullet didn't discharge. It, it did not fire. And so I went toward him. Okay. You know, and uh, of course he freaked out because it did, you know, he, he was a white kid on, on dope, basically. I mean, he, he what was kind on, of, Do you know what kind of dope? Just, I'm curious to, to take he, he, well, he life. Went, is, well, he was on all sorts of stuff. But okay. anyway, I, I, uh, I fought with him at the back door. He was 17. I was 52 at the time. And uh, so he got a little bit the best of me, but he took off running. So I called the police, uh, 911, explained what was going on. Well, the cops apparently had been looking for these two because they'd been on a little crime spree, spree in the neighborhood all night long. So they were here just like that. Did he um, take the gun with him? Or? Yes, he took the gun with him. And as he was running up the, the street or walking through the yards, the cops tried to stop him, and, and uh, he raised the gun toward police officer and, and and fired it and once again it misfired and he took off uh, 
and he ran and all the cops that were looking for him were down at the shell station and he just ran right through the trees and right into the parking lot of the shell station mm-hmm. i mean he, he was caught <clears throat> so uh, anyway the detective had told me later that he wasn't afraid of the police but that that old man was friggin crazy <laughs> what was on the paper that he was looking at years ago a friend had given me a copy of the court paperwork of Dr. Nicopolis from uh, Elvis fame, and they were a list of all the drugs that Dr. Nicopolis had given uh, Elvis in the last three months of his life. So this kid, being on dope, of course, was seeing all these major drugs, and I guess he thought they were here. Uh, you know, he was really excited. I mean, he was just like this, and plus it's in the control room is a little deader because he couldn't hear me come in. Yeah. But uh, he shot at the cop, and uh, that which was not smart. So when we got to trial, he was uh, 17 at the they time. They didn't fire back at him. Uh, the cop did, yeah. Yeah. I was and he gra- grazed him uh, right by his temple, just grazed him. But uh, when we got to uh, try to <clears throat> testify that I thought he should be as an adult, you know, tried as an adult because he was 17. And I, I was very candid, and I said, you know, when I was that age, I probably did every drug he did, but I never robbed from anybody, I never sold from everybody, I never shot at anybody. And uh, so uh, he went to trial, and he got 18 years. And, as and that's tr- because of the gun, I assume. Right, but the, the interesting thing is, it's one of those, this is one of those God things. The interesting thing is, the way that I loaded the bullets in random order saved me and the police officer because the the forensic gun forensic guy said every bullet had been fired that night or that morning so that meant when he tried to shoot at me it didn't work and he was running away from here and he shot the gun a couple times trying to in keep the me air. in the air trying to keep me away from him and then when he pointed at the cop it didn't fire so three out of the bullets fired and three didn't goodness but uh yeah I, I wasn't real happy with him you know and i was glad that he got you know uh the 18 years but i have to say the more i found out about his backstory mm. the uh i've kind of felt sorry for him his uh his mother had abandoned him his uh grandparents and parents were, al- uh, were alcoholics and I'm a recovering alcoholic also, so I know uh, what that's about. Plus, he was bipolar and had not been on his medication. And uh, I figured that prison was probably the best place for him. And I, I think that's uh, what the good Lord thought, too, with all the way things happened. Uh, but as time has gone by, he, he wrote me a letter and apologized and told me that he got his GED, showed me his GED card. Had he been keeping up with you in, since he had been incarcerated or he, did it out of the blue come? Well, he just wrote me a letter, I think maybe they're required to or something oh. when they go in. You know, but anyway, he wrote me a letter showing me, and, and it was a long letter telling me how sorry he was. It's probably part of the 12 steps is my guess. Right, right, yeah. exactly. And uh, he, he sent his GED card to show me that uh-huh. he had gotten that. and. Because of that, I told him, um, I said, man, if you stay, <clears throat> keep your nose clean in prison and take, you know, drug classes and, and any kind of positive 
classes that you can take, I will come and testify for your release. Because, you know, it's not real, prison's not really the way to treat a drug problem and bipolarness no, and all this other all. stuff. Sure. <clears throat> so <clears throat> we went to, um, went, went to the uh, parole hearing, and unfortunately they uh, said he's got to come back in 12 more months. But uh, Why did he, had he been behaving? Why did they deny him parole? Uh, he had gotten into a fight, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, come on, it's prison. I understand. You know, sometimes you have to stand your ground or, or you, yeah. you know, it's not a good thing. So, uh, but he had had pretty much passed all of these things and had certificates and uh, his uh, grandparents and his dad and stuff weren't allowed to talk to him. I wasn't allowed to talk to him or anything, but um uh, you know, he, he was taking responsibility for all of his actions. And uh, I'm going to go back in 12 months and, and, you know, be a little more forceful, I think. You know, say, look, it's costing him, costing the state $30,000 a year to keep him here when he could be out working and paying taxes. Sure. And, and learning how to be a responsible adult. Are you a forgiving person in general, or is it? Do you think it's because you saw yourself in him? As well, a, I mean, I, if I hadn't had as good a parents as I have, I I could have been him. You know, I'm not. I wasn't bipolar, but I, I was a wild child. I, yeah. I was in a rock and roll band so, you know, <laughs> in the '70s, Lord. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it, I saw a little bit of that, but it forgiveness is it's so uplifting. To take, because anger, it takes more to be angry at someone than it does to forgive them. Mm. And and that forgiveness releases you. You know, it it releases you from that anger, that negativity. And that's just how I feel about it. Did they catch the other guy that was with him? Yeah, but he didn't get, you know, he... He didn't shoot at anyone. He didn't shoot at anybody. He didn't. He said he didn't come into the garage, but I don't believe him. Uh, he got away with murder, basically. Oh, he got a, not murder, but he got away with you know. Yeah. Doing the thing. Beanie. I think a little probation. That was about it. Uh, I wonder if those two of them have stayed in contact. Probably not. Oh no. Mm-mm. So, aside from the letter of apology, has he been in contact with you? Do you guys write each other? Well, he wrote. Uh, he wrote me a letter. Uh, before this, because they're, they're supposed to tell me, victims services are supposed to call me and tell me when uh, he comes up for parole, and they never have. And so he wrote me a letter telling me he was coming up for parole and, and gave me his, his grandmother's contact because I'd told him in good yeah. faith and he had done what I'd said. So I'm a man of my word. Why do you think they didn't tell you? Just slipped through the cracks? Probably. So many people. Pro- yeah, there's just so much. That's I kind of scary to think about people who suffer, uh, you know, from violent crime that mm-hmm. they don't know when they're perpetrators. Yeah, I, well, they may concentrate more on when somebody's, it's been really violent. Yeah, maybe I mean, maybe you so. know, it was, it was violent for me for a couple of seconds. But, I Did mean, you it, have any traumatic, dis- you know, like PTSD after I, Actually, uh, I was uh, doing great, man. I thought I was doing pretty good. I was, uh, I just wrestled a 17 year old kid i was 52 i was life was good uh, you know about three months later i about had a mental breakdown one day i mean i just lost it you know and i didn't know why and uh, i went to the doctor because i mean it, it went from that to a couple of days of just horrible depression and i went to the doctor and uh, he had seen me on television on the news so he goes i know exactly what's wrong with you 
And so I was diagnosed with PTSD. And come to find out, I've had it since I was 15 because uh, I'm on disability because of it. But when I went to court, the judge told me that she had worked with the FBI's program on hostages and stuff, and they had found out if you have a gun pointed at you, then your brain tells you that you've been shot. And so just that can cause PTSD. And I had a guy point a gun at me at a bar I was playing at when I was 15. And, and I started, uh, that's when I started smoking pot. And then uh, when I was uh, 20, I was standing in my parents' kitchen. And this kid across the way, I thought he was uh, playing with a BB gun. Well, it turned out it was 22 rifle, but, and I dropped a cup off the counter, and I went over to pick it up, and when I did, a bullet came through the window right where I was standing. So uh, that's, that's when I started drinking heavy. You know, these are all... So you were self-medicating I was self in response to something you didn't even know I, was And happening. I had no idea what was wrong with me, Yeah. you know, for the longest time. It actually took this particular situation for me to get diagnosed. Mm -hmm. You know, because they didn't have, back in the 70s, they didn't have a diagnosis of that. I mean, I would go out on a limb and say that many of the people that turn to drugs and alcohol as a placation to, to soothe themselves are doing it because something, some event has happened that they're not even... Oh, absolutely. They don't even know it happened. This right. I something. mean, that's that's very easy. I mean, and you know, some people can... About 20% of your population can't have alcohol out becoming addicted to it. And I'm in that lucky 20%, woohoo. Yeah. But I was a functioning drunk for a long time it hurt my career uh which i didn't think it did at the time but being in the music industry yeah but you know well that'll make you drink anyway <laughs> <laughs> you know i mean because all the frustration that goes along with oh, it yeah it's not an easy life no and uh, uh but I, I you know i was lucky i traveled i played all over the country and canada and places music so and later on in my later life here i've worked with uh some rock and roll hall of fame members and uh and jimmy hall and some other people like that guys in kentucky headhunters i mean just yeah. you know worked with some cool people and uh life has been good that's good and so therefore how are you dealing with the ptsd then i'm medicated i take a little zoloft every day oh, okay you know and it helps well, I'm not what, freaking out. Well, what about, <laughs> what about uh, therapy? Do you do the therapy to unravel the, the place in your brain where that not really storing I, the tragic events? Most of that got taken care of, I think, during when I went through my uh, rehab. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, I really, because we had group therapy and stuff, and a sure. lot of things would come up at that point in time, yeah. you know, and, uh, but it? I just didn't, I didn't put it together. And another kind of God moment thing, right after I was diagnosed with PTSD, my friend Doug Phelps, who... Uh, was singing in a project I had. He's a singer and bass player for the Kentucky Headhunters. He always stops and buys uh, this used bookstore, uh, stops and buys paperbacks to read when they're on the road. Sure. Well, he stopped by this day, and he there was another kind of thick folder book, and he accidentally knocked it on the floor. And uh, when he picked it up, he looked at it, and it said it was all about PTSD. And so he got it for me because I'd just been diagnosed, huh. and, you know, and he, how odd was that? That's pretty cool. But, but the book was, I mean, I'm... I call those God winks. I, I do too. I do too. Uh, or God moments or God wink. I like that winks. But they're, uh, 
you know, it, it was everything I needed to know. And also it showed me that my behavior had been textbook. Interesting. You know, and uh, that just opened up a, you know, a whole new world for me, knowing that and being able to calm down. And... Well, it's nice to be able to put a point on it. Right. To say this is the thing. Did, um, did the young man know you were at the probation? Could he see you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. At the probation hearing? You know, he turned around and ma- he's not allowed to talk to me, but he turned around and mouthed, thank you. Oh. Yeah. And- you know, I imagine that for him, not, I mean, I can't speak for him, but um, I imagine that just knowing you were there probably helped him, inc- his psyche so much. Because I think you get to a point where, where you don't feel like anyone has faith in you, first of all, right. that you're even worth anything. And so for the person he did those things to, to show up on his behalf and, and say, you know, I'm here for you. That's, I mean, that's amazing. Well, I've, I've, I've sent him a couple of books to read. They, they mentioned that he read a lot. Yeah. And <clears throat> so I thought about it and I, I thought about his history and I thought about what kind of book should I send him? So I, I sent him uh, Breakfast of Champions by Kurt Vonnegut. Great book. And, and uh, his grandmother texted me the other day and said that he loved the book and he he laughed. He said he was actually had been laughing out loud at some of the parts. It's kind of hard to laugh in prison. Sure. You know, so I sent him another book of uh, uh, Vonnegut stories. And then uh, I sent him uh, a book by Shakti Gawin about creative visualization of how you can, you know, because he's got a long road. He's still going to be on probation for the rest of his sentence, which was 18 years. So how long has he been incarcerated? Uh, nine years. Wow. So he's and, a know, man. And, he's and a sometimes, man now. Yeah, sometimes murderers get out faster than that, you know. Sure. It all, it's all dependent on... It's so many things. Man. I mean, he was caught, but when he was caught here, he got busted for a bunch of other robberies that he had. They compound. Right. So. Sure. And the use of a deadly weapon. I mm-hmm. mean, there are choices people make. Um, interesting that you gra- grabbed a knife. Just going back to the moment, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, you know, I didn't know what something. was going on. Yeah, totally. I mean, it'd been a knife, it'd been a club, it'd been, yeah. been something. But uh, has it changed how you feel about your guns? Just knowing that somebody was going to use them against you. It. I've never really been a gun person, but my dad's ninety-three years old, so we thought a few years ago it was a good idea to get the guns out of the house you know so i put them over here and and um i just had the handgun in my drawer because i was out here late at night and sometimes in spring i had the back door open late at night you know and railroad tracks run right behind here so you never know what's going on so i, I just had it there for protection but I, I did learn afterwards uh i went and bought a modern handgun and uh, went to the range and learned and, 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 and practiced and then gun safety is extremely but it's locked important. up yeah so you know it's, it's it, safe now but yeah but the problem is if if that gun had been locked up the kid wouldn't have gone he wouldn't have shot at me he wouldn't shot a cop you know so my lack of being a, a good gun owner you know caused part of this problem too um, i'll take that little bit of responsibility for it 
Well, you know, I mean, you know, the, the cops <laughs> said, man, don't beat yourself up over it. And I was like, well, I'm not going to do that. But I said, there is this much responsibility. My know? show last week, um, Drew Smith, who's a gun enthusiast, a collector, um, we talked about just be all the things going on that have compounded throughout the history of the United States and in the world. Mm -hmm. um, so we talked about the Second Amendment and guns and all that stuff. Um, and it, it is one of the things that I took away from that conversation is so many folks don't have the reverence for what that little thing does you know the right. fact that it, it can kill someone it's meant someone. to kill someone it that's is. what they are made for yes and that they don't you know go and get the education or learn anything about whether what kills they don't keep them in safe places i mean and, you know i've gone through the concealed carry permit classes and stuff i never did go get my permit but it just amazes me that people have to be so afraid these days that they've got to carry a gun to go to McDonald's or something. I mean, it's... It, but fee, it's, for me, fear feeds fear. So the more afraid we all are, the more we respond to that fear with more fear, the worse it, off things are. And will. fear is control. I mean, our, the people that are higher up on the food chain than us use this fear... I agree. ...to manipulate all of us. And... You know, I found, I stopped having, uh, I turned the television off for a couple of weeks, and things got a lot better. Yes. You know, I mean, I'm a news hound, so, that, you know, 24-hour news is like, wow, but it just gets stupid sometimes. And uh, I think you're right, it's a manipulation tool. Oh, yeah, I mean. On, it, either, on either side of the aisle. <laughs> yes, unfortunately. It doesn't matter which, which station you turn on, I think they're all. Their their main objective is to keep you afraid, sell their products, and, well, and was, fear it, is a product. It's like after nine eleven, what Bush say? He said, uh, "Go out and buy stuff." Yeah. You know, I mean, okay, you just had this big thing, and he's like telling you to go out and buy a car. You know, it didn't make much sense to me. Still don't. So. Still, yeah, it doesn't either. That don't even get me started on that whole thing. Um, so you'll be there at the next. Yeah, and it was 12 months, so I guess it's 11 months now, so uh, the grandmother will text me and let me know, and I'll I'll go in, and, and now I've got facts and figures. I'm going to tell the guy exactly how much it's costing to keep him yeah, in here. Yeah, it's not cheap. You know, and... and uh, what about when he gets out? Let's let's say, so he's, what, 26-ish now, 27? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So in another year, 28, that's a full-grown man. What happens when he gets out? He has a felony conviction. He can't drive, so mm -hmm. no driver's license, no right to vote, all the things that come along with a felony conviction. Do you feel like you're going to help him assimilate, or do you think once he's out, you've done your, your part, your, um, your well, partnership? If, if uh, Well, I, uh, I think I've pretty much done my part at that point in time because, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, he's made his bed. He's, I mean, he, yeah. you know, he's got to deal with what he's done. Of course. But also uh, because I sent him that book about creative visualization he can uh that might give him a key to motivate him somewhere sure you know because imagination i mean i that story about this place uh i was reading that book and it said draw what you want and look at it every day so i drew out a stu a, a diagram of my studio looked at it every day did looked it look like it. this well, I forgot about it. I put it in a box and just forgot about it. Well, a few years later, I bought this place, and I was unpacking boxes, and I found it. 
The drawing oh, was a mirror image to this place, and it was to the foot. It gives me the shivers. I know. It's crazy, but it was to the foot. It's just like a flip mirror image. The bathroom was over here in my drawing, you know, and, and, and the control room's out here in the back there. But it's just like you flip the picture over, and it's like this. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, has your, the way you navigate the world changed since that event? Well... I don't go out as much as I used to, mm. you know, and um, I don't gig as much as I used to. I would just turn 60, and I'm having a hard time finding a bass player. But anyway. Uh, you hear that, everyone? Yeah, There's bass, a bass player. player in the Nashville, greater Nashville, Madison area. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I don't go out unless I'm gigging, really. I mean, uh, thank God for Amazon, but. And yeah. that's because of that, you think? I think so. I we were at, uh, me and the wife were at uh, Home Depot the other day, and it was just packed. <laughs> and I knew, I knew my statistics that within so many people that you see, several of them are, are carrying guns, you know. And I wasn't afraid so much as I got my spider senses up, you know. I was just kind of keeping an eye on everything and looking around. Hypervigilance. Yeah. I mean, I tend to be that way when I'm in larger crowds. Which is stressful for the immune system, by the way. Yes. Well, it's, it's stressful for a musician that doesn't like big crowds. But yeah. uh, <laughs> stage is okay. But if we're always in a state of hypervigilance, it's taxing our adrenal glands, oh, which is yeah. really hard on our bodies. And that's one reason I nice hang around here. Yeah. Amazon, yeah. <laughs> but the irony of Amazon, of course, is that they... I don't know how you feel about the NRA, but they're they have a partnership with the NRA for their NRA television show, which you know is its own propagandist machine. Right, right. I, I, you know, my father is a proud member of the NRA, and he and I have had lots of conversations. And again, I just talked about this last week, or I don't know when this episode well, it's is going to come out. But I, I, I'm not an NRA guy. I think it's uh, you know lobbying laws the way they were originally written were for municipalities and towns to go uh, petition their congressman for a bridge or some sort of thing like that. That's what they were originally set up for, and now it's pay for play. It's Yeah, it's ridiculous. You know, I mean, everybody likes their own congressman. They hate everybody else's, you know, and I actually like my congressman. I kind of trust him because he doesn't have a huge house after yeah. so many years in Congress. But, you know, I heard a story about... Uh, uh, this little kid told his dad he wanted to be a politician. And his dad says, why do you want to be a politician? He goes, well, I've been studying, and it's the fastest way to become a millionaire before you're 30. Yeah. That's sad. Yeah, but it's so true. Yeah, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not a big fan of the lobbying thing. I think mm -hmm. it should be outlawed, as it has been mm -hmm. in its own way in the music industry. Right? You used to be able to send radio people cocaine and hookers and trips to Hawaii and that's that in exchange for plays. I missed out on all that. I know. <laughs> <laughs> on the radio and that's mm -hmm. the same thing. That's lobbying your radio. Oh yeah, and it still goes on. It's just different. They have to they have to work their way around the law. It's actually a uh you can pay for play, say if you're a, a record label, you can buy a block an hour block on a radio station like an advertisement and, and then, play all your artists right you can do that now mm -hmm. uh, they didn't make that illegal huh mm -mm. because yeah. it's advertisement yeah 
It's not paying the DJ. Right. It's paying the owners, you know. Well, I mean, I guess if you make a loss, someone will figure out how to get around it. But yeah, exactly. It's a human thing. <laughs> it is a human yeah. thing, yeah. Um, so what's uh, what happens? Do you think... Do you think it's changed how you even exist within your own home? Like, did you get extra security or anything, or did you just go? Well, I put cameras. Oh in. yeah, I've got cameras in. Sure. Uh, that was about it. I, they tell you when an event like that happens, you should move. Well, I don't. I didn't really because you know I was almost killed right here. Sure. You know, so it, it's like it's not good for you to stay in that environment every day. But what I did, I just moved the control room around a little bit to put my desk in a different spot and has that helped uh yeah it i, I don't know it's just a weird deal i don't i maybe it's because i'm medicated it doesn't bother me yeah you know well. do you know about the multiverse have you ever read about that what the multiple uh the theory that there are multiple universes right multiple so in one universe i was killed right it's an interesting thought yeah and Thank then, God it wasn't this one. Yeah, but it, or that in that moment the universe is split, and right. the one the one universe with you and your family, you know, where you died, and then the one that you were alive is the one I'm talking to. And right. I love thinking about things like that. It's quite fascinating. Yeah, it really is. It's uh, it gets a little deep sometimes. Did it push uh, you to to be more aggressive in your own life as far as things you want, things that you want to go after, or because you were older when it happened? Do you think? Well. Mainly, I mean, that was 52 then. I'm 60 now. Just since I've turned 60, I'm starting to look at things a little differently. Like, uh, I'm thinking about selling my 65 Stratocaster because there's like, I'm a drummer to begin with, and that's too much money hanging on the wall. Sure. You know, uh, just things like I would have never thought about selling it 24 months ago. Yeah. But after 60, it's kind of like, well, I don't know, maybe, you know. And I've been wanting a 12-string uh, electric Rickenbacker for years, and I just bought it. Huh. You know, I just went and said, uh, I'll put it on credit card. I want it, you know, because I don't know if I'll live tomorrow. Right. You know, today is today. today but I'm not I'm not telling everybody to go out and use their credit cards because that's not really a good thing. But, you know, I'll right. pay it off by the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> and plus life, I, life is it. to be lived. Right, absolutely. Well, by the time this episode comes out, you may have already sold your, your other one. <sighs> I don't know. It's still a... I've had it for 40 years. It's hard to let go. It's hard to let go of stuff. That, yeah. You know? And, and, and when it all comes down to it, it's just a bunch of atoms vibrating at different speeds. Yeah. So, you know, the chairs built out of the same thing, the guitar and sure. us and everything. So I went to my parents' house. Uh, this was a few years ago, and I was helping them organize some things. And my dad has been retired for, you know, a good while especially and at the time I think he'd been retired for a handful of years already and he still had floppy disks like all these things and I'm like mm -hmm. dad throw these away he said well I might need them I said what what in the world would you need this for and I said just toss it who cares and he said all these things everything you see in this house these this is your mother and and me these are who this is who we are and I said no no who you are is standing in front of me having the conversation he said no he said I look around and I go oh that was that moment or that was that that's all a part of who you are and right i understand that completely yeah that's why i have a so messy messy house with lots of instruments yeah <laughs> and i'm more of a you know i don't really hold on to things like that mm. i mean some things but not a lot of stuff uh, my daughter's that way she uh she's not real uh sentimental. sentimental yeah yeah and then probably the next generation 
is like the opposite again. Right. And it right. just keeps going up. I mean, I try to keep things so when I'm gone, you know, my grandson or my granddaughter will, you know, check out stuff. Wow, look at him then, <laughs> you know. Papa G with hair. Oh, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's it really hasn't changed me that much. I think it... Oh, sorry. I was going to say, just turning 60s changed me more than the guy trying to shoot me. Yeah, but I think it's interesting that you've even um, given yourself the power to go back in a year and say, here are the statistics. I think a lot of people wouldn't go that far as to really put themselves into the information that mm -hmm. then also speaks to their argument for a guy that tried to kill him. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, you know, it, it irritated me that he had done so good. Well, the last time he came up for parole, I, I didn't even know about it, but uh, they said, okay, well, well, we'll try again in four years. All right. This one, they said 12 months. So that means he's at least on a positive track if he doesn't get in any more trouble right. or get in any trouble. I assume they've got him on mental stability. They, uh, they don't... He is given his medication every day because he's over in the uh, Dairy Bear, aware of the places with they have psychiatrists and, yeah. and stuff. And he's gotten some psychotherapy. And uh, he don't have to take his meds every day. They don't make him take it, but it's it's a reaction thing. It's like okay, you didn't take your medication this time. You started self medicating, and look where you're at. Right. You know. Okay. Well, then I better take this, or I'm going to end up same spot right and people feel good and better when they're on them and then they take them thinking well i'm better now and then they right. mm -hmm. they spiral out of control rapidly because i know i i was uh i take a low dose of zoloft every day but i was out of my prescription for about a week and i tell you what by by the third or fourth day i was antsy i was really antsy you know so you can't just stop that stuff mm -mm. no i think I mean, I don't know, when I think about forgiveness, I don't know what is an unforgivable crime. I know things that upset me as far as what people do to each other in this world. But forgiveness is pretty important. Like you said, you know, you could it hurts you as much as well, carrying around the anger and the pain and all that. It's an easy thing to say to someone who has been brutally attacked, for example, because have I have not had that experience. Mm -hmm. So intellectually is the only way I can talk think about it right and hopefully you won't ever have i it. hope not right, statistically yeah. though you know who knows uh but yeah but it does seem like it's that's a tough thing to carry around with you all the time right well i was uh i was happily divorced for 30 some odd years so uh i got over a lot of anger and stuff after that me and my ex-wife got to be friends you know because that's good because i mean I'm, I'm friends with her husband sure you know uh unfortunately she passed away last year but oh, I'm uh, sorry. uh you know i'm very still her husband's very close to me so i mean after i released my anger from that i learned that that release through my divorce and and her having my my child and and me only seeing her every once in a while i was i was angry you know but once I released all that anger, I learned from that. Yeah. And and then you can be angry for a minute, you know, but any any longer than that's not worth it. Yeah. You know, if you can release your anger and, and stay away from fear, your life is great. It's a lot better, for yeah. sure. I mean, even I, I watch YouTube a lot, and I find it fascinating, all the conspiracy theories and all the all the stuff. And now, statistically, 
with all of the conspiracy theories out there, one or two of them's got to be true. Sure, it's only a conspiracy until it's proven true. Right, but but at the same time, I just see all these things that people are so passionate about, and it it, it cracks me up. Yeah, but well, that's how people respond to fear, and mm-hmm. and uh, paranoia is attached to fear. They're they're two-headed creatures, right? Oh yeah, I mean, you know. hate, fear, paranoia, all that stuff—it's all the same thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Hate is fear, as far as I'm concerned. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Uh, I think that your message is a great one, that forgiveness is a possibility, even in the face of probably extreme terror. I imagine that moment was terrible. Well, I mean... You didn't check out in the, in the moment and out of your I, body. I, I mean, look at, look at uh, the Middle East. I mean, it, it's a family feud. The Jews and the Arabs are all genetically part of the same family, you know, and they've been used and controlled by fear from each other. You know, and a thousand years of right, and and then, and then of course in the forties, the United Nations had to get into it and take Palestine and and build a Jewish state there, and then and then put the Palestinians in these like camps and stuff. And okay, if you look at it, what if Germany had won the war in World War Two and they decided to give the United States back to the Indians and they put everybody else in Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. Well, after a few generations, people be getting pretty upset. Absolutely. So you know, it, 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 it the turmoil there, it's it's perpetual, and 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 I know Arabs and Jews here that are friends. Absolutely. You know, and, and it, it just it, because they're removed. It's like you said, turn off the TV. Mm-hmm. Removed from the chaos, and I think a lot of the young people, sure, they're indoctrinated to hate each other mm-hmm. from a young age, as are most people. Mm-hmm. Um, are you know they have to be indoctrinated, indoctrinated at a young age. But um, I think the people that leave and and go elsewhere and don't mm-hmm. have that constant information being pounded into right. their head, they're a lot better at. Um, seeing the sameness in each other than the differences. Right, and, and just like uh, the, the hurricane, you had you had rednecks going into predominantly black neighborhoods and helping people. And, you know, you had black people and white people and brown people and all, it wasn't that, they were all Americans and, and there, was, there was trouble. Right. You know? That is when we come together. And, and if we could focus more on that on a daily basis, things yeah. would be so much better than listening to about Donald's porn star and stuff. Well, and I think if we saw each other as each other, which is why I do hate human. Right. You know, if if we saw each other in that regard, I think things would would be better too. Oh, absolutely. So, thank you, Larry. Well, thank you so much, Susan. Yeah, I'd love for people to hear your music. Do you want to point anyone to the direction of a website or something? Uh. I have several. I've got a couple of projects. Dixie Tabernacle. Oh, I love that. Uh, <laughs> uh, .com. Well, Dixie Tabernacle was a building that the uh, Opry was in for mm-hmm. a couple of years back in the 30s. And uh, it has Jimmy Hall on vocals, uh, Thane Sharon on vocals, and Doug Phelps on vocals. It's like a, uh, a rock three-dog night, southern rock three-dog night or That's something. That's amazing. And uh, we did a couple albums that, of course, went nowhere because we didn't have any money behind it. Sure. You know, a lot of stuff I do doesn't have money behind it, but it's it's fun. Well, it's I'll good. put links on Hey Human Podcast on the links page that direct people to, to buy some. Yeah, you can. Uh, uh, Larry Goad on iTunes, you know, I have a solo record. It's uh, it's all first and second takes. It's a little raw, but I, I kind of dug it, not not 
producing it, just going out and... Just being real? Well, I saw uh, Ray Wiley Hubbard on Letterman show one night doing A Drunken Poet's Dream, and I thought, that's great. And I, I mean, I learned it on the spot, and then I came out here and recorded it on the spot, and it's on the record. That's great. You know, I did the vocal and the guitar. I added everything else later. But uh, that's the beauty of music, spontaneity. Yeah, I know. Music is a wonderful thing. It, they, you know, everything is math, and music is math. Yeah. But it also, it, it it elicits emotions, and and that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Well, Larry, uh, thank you thank for your you, time Susan. today, and um, I will think good thoughts toward the young man that is awaiting. Tyler his... Tyler Ledbetter is his name. All right, for Tyler to anybody want to pray for him, that's uh, more. More power to him. More power to him. Thank you. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye.